Before I begin today, let me be clear. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I'm going to talk about a sensitive subject for some people today, and it may be that you are a woman who has had an abortion. And I want you to understand that my intent in uh, very strongly advocating for unborn children is not to put you under condemnation. If you are in Christ, you are free of condemnation. If you confess your sins, the scripture says, whatever that sin may be, God is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. It's important for us to understand that there is a way that God made things. And we've changed that in this country. And I am not alone in understanding that this country is standing underneath the, the judgment and wrath of God right now because of the evil that has been perpetrated through the ending of unborn life. It is a greater holocaust than the holocaust. If you look at your notes, you can follow along with me. Um, number one, life begins at conception. Now, I put a scripture there, and it was the scripture that the little girl was quoting in the video, uh, Psalm 139, talking about the Lord seeing your unformed substance and weaving you together, uh, knitting you together in your mother's womb and so forth. But, you know, that's just a scientific fact. Life begins at conception period. That's the reality. See, the argument comes when people try to say, well, when does this human life become a person? How do you know and how do I know? See, this was the difficulty the Supreme Court faced in 1973 with the Roe versus Wade decision. They had people who were advocating that uh, this is a human being at conception. They had people that were advocating this is a human being once it draws its first breath. So the Supreme Court, not being a group of medical doctors or ethicists, had to make a decision. So that original Roe versus Wade decision uh, hinged upon what they called viability. That is, when the child can survive outside the mother's womb. So as a result, the decision that was originally made was within the first trimester, no law can be made to limit abortion. In the second trimester, laws could be passed that would be in favor of the woman's health. And in the third trimester, and only then, could laws be passed that would be in favor of the fetus's health. However, the way these decisions have been interpreted by courts ever since then, we have come to a place now where a child can actually be born alive as the result of a botched abortion. And in states like New York, the child will be left to scream and die. Now, there's something wrong with your conscience if you don't think that's evil. Human life begins at conception, and at that point, an inexorable process takes place that, if uninterrupted, will result 
in those beautiful children that you saw wearing costumes up here last week who result in someone like you and someone like me. Number two, um, we've heard a lot about Black Lives Matter, and that's true. But human life matters. Would you agree? And it matters whether it is wanted or unwanted by the biological parents. Do you hear me? You may come out of a home where you felt like you were unwanted or where you were actually rejected. You were not wanted. You may have times in your life when you feel unwanted by other people, by even your biological parents, but you matter. Amen? Your life matters. Human life matters, and human life begins at conception. Number three, God's evaluation is what matters. You see, it is what God decides, what God determines, what God has designed that matters. And the reason why we find ourselves in the position in which we find ourselves in the, this country and in the Western world right now is because we have drifted away from a firm belief in a creator. The scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They're corrupt and their deeds are vile. Now, that doesn't mean that all atheists are immoral, but it means that many times when people reject God, it is simply because they want to justify their own intentions, their own plans, their own designs, their own desires. That's not a good reason to reject the, the, the God who brings and sustains, brings into existence and sustains everything in its existence. We need to begin with that fear of God. You may not feel a personal love for God. You may feel distant from God. There may be many reasons for that. But anybody can be wise enough to fear God. Because you and I will be called to stand before Almighty God in judgment. So as strongly as I'm going to come down on this subject today, I'm not your judge. I'm not even on the jury. And I don't want to be. This is a difficult uh, topic to discuss. But I want you to understand that we need to look at things from God's perspective, and evaluate things from God's perspective. And we need to lay out the basic rule. Now, there are those that would raise the objection, well, what about this exception? What about that exception, right? What about rape? What about incest? What about uh, a danger to the health of the mother? What I am here to do today is not to try to step in and make determinations on the basis of those exceptions, but to firmly establish the rule. You see, we, we err in this country. We err in really the entire world right now by making the exception the rule. If there is an exception, then we say, well, then there can't be a rule that says otherwise. So let's say the health of the mother is, in fact, endangered. Our church donated uh, a significant amount of money to an organization. Um, it was brought to me by Elijah Nelson. I think it's in Africa. The Fistula Organization, Elijah, if you're in here somewhere. Yeah. Is that Africa? Yeah, Niger. Where? Niger. 
Okay. Um, and one of the things, that, that a fistula is, is kind of like a, uh, sort of like a tumor, if I understand, uh, in, the, in the woman's womb and so forth. It is things like this that can cause danger when a, a baby is conceived and continues to grow in the womb. It's not my determination to say, well, you know, that mother must endanger her life and carry that all the way to term. Perhaps there is an argument that could be made for self-defense in that case. Perhaps there's a rational argument that could be made that if the mother dies, the baby dies anyway, right? But we can't say, well, because of that, then abortion must be legal at any point at any time. That's ridiculous. So I'm not here to try to make determinations about the exceptions. I can have discussions with you about that, but I want to establish firmly the rule. Number four, from the beginning, God has valued life and human life above all. In Genesis three, uh, excuse me, Genesis nine, chapter nine, verses three through six, uh, we're on the other side of Noah's flood, and the water has receded. And Noah is receiving instructions from God. And in Genesis 9, 3 through 6, God says essentially that the life is in the blood. This is why the Jewish people to this day will not eat rare meat, period. They will not eat anything with blood in it. You know why? Because of respect for life. Now, I'm not saying that you and I need to do exactly the same thing, but I respect that. More than that, I revere that. The spilling of blood represents the, the, the taking of life. Now, that doesn't mean that God made uh, uh, rules related to uh, uh, Noah and all of his descendants being us uh, to become uh, vegan or vegetarian, but you need to understand that there is, a, there is a serious respect for life, even animal life, okay? And then it might seem contrary, it might even seem ironic to you that capital punishment is established before the law of Moses in the Noahic covenant precisely because of respect for life. God said, if a man sheds blood, then by man shall his blood be shed. If you take a life, you owe a life. That's what it amounts to. Now, again, that's, that's difficult, isn't it? God has shown cases where he forgave people. Noah didn't take a life, but Moses did. David did. But that doesn't change the rule. When you take a life, you owe your life. And that requires forgiveness from God. You see, we have a, a peculiar way of dancing around our particular sins. We simply justify them. We come up with convenient explanations as to why we're doing what we're doing or why we've done what we've done or why we're going to do what we're going to do. But the reality is all of us, as I said several weeks back when we were talking about the end of time and judgment day, we're all going to stand before God in judgment. It is appointed for everyone wants to die and then comes judgment and you will not be late for that appointment. I'm not your judge, but the judge is standing at the door and it needs to be said clearly, spoken, that you and I are responsible for our actions and that you and I are responsible for protecting life.
Number five, a human being is a person made in the image of God. Well, when does this fetus become a person? That's not my call, and it's not your call. What I do know is that it becomes human life at the moment of conception. And as I said earlier, an inexorable process takes place through which that becomes a fully formed human body, human being. So do I draw a line here, there, or somewhere else and say, well, it's a person here. It's a person in the second trimester or the third trimester. From our perspective, you need to consider once conception takes place, we're dealing with a separate human life. And we need to treat it with reverence and we need to treat it with respect. And I only say it because I don't know whether this is a male or female at that point. It, not because it is less than human, it because I don't know the gender and I'm using a neuter. Uh, number six, therefore it is not without reason that the sixth commandment states, you shall not murder. That's just plain. You shall not murder. You can't dance away from that. Now, again, the state is given the right to defend life. The state is given the right uh, to bear the sword in cases where justice needs to take place. And it is not the purpose of this sermon to try to establish when murder and killing are or, or are not acceptable. Murder is never acceptable. Typically, that is the word that we use to represent the taking of a life that is unjustified. But what about, you know, uh, just wars and what about these sorts of things? That's not my call. That's not the, the purpose of this sermon. The purpose of this sermon is to firmly establish that we don't go around taking life just because it's convenient. Thou shalt not murder. Number seven, abortion is the taking of an innocent human life, and it is murder. Now, this is where it becomes very difficult. I am not seeking to minister condemnation to anybody. But when I'm convicted of my sin, I repent of my sin, and I confess my sin, and I move forward. You don't get free of sin by justifying sin. God will justify you and I as sinners when we confess that we have fallen short, right? Now, ladies, I know I'm a, I'm a man. I'm not supposed to understand these things, and what you go through is, is incredibly complex. I'm not trying to justify things from my perspective or your perspective. I'm simply trying to relate clearly what the Scripture teaches. Start with the rule. Lay down your life before the Lord. Seek his forgiveness if you violated that rule. And move forward and move on. And then you and I in this room uh, need to be those who are seeking to protect pregnant women and to provide for them if we can. And that's number nine, but we'll get to that. Let's look at number eight. A woman has the right, and I would say the responsibility, to protect herself from unwanted intimacy, and I'm using that term advisedly in a room where there are, uh, there are kids, perhaps, okay? You have that right. I'm 
not trying to advocate a Catholic position that is against contraception. You need to use contraception. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself from men who would say certain things to you to get their way. Protect yourself. And anyone who violates that needs to be punished severely. But once conception occurs, there's another human life to consider. It's no longer just about one life. It's no longer just about one person's body. Now there is another separate life to consider. And we need to take that into sincere, serious consideration. Number nine. Every Christian should be willing to support a pregnant mother and her unborn child to the best of their ability. So one of my Facebook friends not too long ago was addressing this topic and uh, made the blanket statement that, well, you know, there are all of these Christians that are out there saying that abortion is wrong, but they're not willing to do anything to support pregnant women. That's not the case in this church. And that's what I said. I see, I see people in this church who are willing to step up, working for crisis pregnancy centers and, and fostering children and supporting mothers with babies. That's, that's, that's a blanket statement, and it's a ridiculous statement, and it's meant to simply justify abortion. But you and I, especially me as a male, I need to be willing to step up and support that woman. Now, that doesn't mean I'm, I, you know, I have the money to take them into my home and pay all their bills, but I'm going to do everything that I can to point them in the right direction and to support them in any way that I possibly can, right? Now, again, this is not a message that is intended to try to give you all of the answers. I am simply seeking to establish the baseline rule. And God does provide options for those of you who are pregnant, who become pregnant, but who say, you know, but I'm, I'm too young, or I, I can't take care of this baby. But you were old enough to make a decision to become intimate with someone and become pregnant. This isn't about convenience. My mom had me when she was 16 years old. Abortion wasn't legal back then, and I don't believe my mom would have taken that option anyway. But I'm one of the people who would not exist today if that convenience argument were followed. 16 years old. Number 10, it's a child, not a choice. I know that's like a bumper sticker uh, statement. But I want you to just let that soak in. This is a child, not a choice. That's the problem. We're elevating our own desires and our own convenience above the reality that we're dealing with another human being. If you simply establish that in your mind, it's going to change the way you do really everything. I mean, we have a culture in which sex is just wide open, full throttle, whatever, whenever, with whomever. There are consequences for all of our choices. There really are. 
God intended for sex to be between a man and a woman who are committed to one another for life. And as the result of this powerful, pleasurable experience, a human life comes forth. That is mind-blowing. God is crazy creative. You and I have gotten used to this, like it's just no big deal. Are you serious right now? God could have done anything. I mean, human beings could, could have, you know, he could have made it so human beings reproduce through abiogenesis. It's just like, you know, I just multiply. <laughs> Hup, there's another Daryl. There's another Darlene, you know. <laughs> but that's not what he did. He created this incredible thing where two people become so physically close and so into each other's space and into each other's emotions and spirit that it's, it's, it's insane that you would want to do that outside of these boundaries. I haven't. I'm 58 years old because I'm scared to death of Almighty God. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have the same kinds of desires as any other man. That doesn't mean that I haven't made many mistakes in my mind. But I don't want to hear that you cannot contain yourself until you're married. You don't want to. Just admit it, man. Quit making excuses. God's design is better. It's always better. And again, if you've already made mistakes, I'm not trying to minister condemnation to you. I'm trying to tell you the truth. Because until you confess your sin, you cannot be forgiven of your sin. So if you've been involved in any kind of sexual activity outside of God's design, confess it, renounce it, find mercy, move forward, have a new life. Amen? Amen. That's what God wants for you. He loves you. But that doesn't mean He's going to let you just do whatever you want to do. So that's the reality. So I tell you, vote biblical values. Well, this is a biblical value. There are other biblical values that may align more with uh, one party than the other party. But for me, this is a, a salient biblical value. There are many mistakes that the party that supports life makes, but I will continue to support that party because they continue to support life. Neither party is perfect. So hopefully, rather than having a one-party nation, we have this balance. And we get sick of them fighting with each other, but you know, maybe we need that. So that we can see the other side. And we can make clear decisions. So, election day is in two days. I encourage you to consider life when you decide who you're going to put in office. The party that is not in office right now has promised that they will pack the Supreme Court. 
they seem to be as single-minded about supporting abortion as the other party is about supporting life. I've already voted. I'm not telling you who to vote for. But I'm telling you that who gets in office has great consequences. There will be significant consequences one way or the other. Now, I'm going to rely on Almighty God. I think that even above and beyond our choices, God is capable of getting his will done. And I believe that he will. So let's pray. But let's act responsibly. Amen? I may not be able to control things at the federal level. My vote's just one vote. My voice is just one voice. But I can tell you the truth, and I can love you, and I can support you. Right? So, um, I was going to preach three of these messages on biblical values. We'll be on the other side of the election by next time, so I really don't know what I'm going to preach next week. But I will say that if you paid attention to what I preached two weeks ago about God's design for marriage and family, and if you paid attention this week about the nature of human life, we say the sanctity of human life. So the reason that I called the sermon today, human life is holy, that's what sanctity means. You are made in the image of God, and that's why human life is holy. Today is actually uh, a day that we don't celebrate in uh, quote-unquote Protestant churches, or at least most Protestant churches, but it's All Saints Day, which, by the way, is the reason why Halloween came about originally. All Hallows' Eve is the night before All Saints' Day. So I like the fact that I preached a sermon on the sanctity of human life on All Saints' Day because I'm going to make the case that all humans are holy. Amen? And we need to treat them with that degree of respect. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, address your people with your word. I pray that uh, no one has received a ministry of condemnation from the enemy if they, each one of us, are willing to admit our sins or our complicity in the sins of others. And we are willing to renounce that and receive your mercy. Lord Jesus, you're the only way that we can be forgiven because you died for our sins and then you rose to overcome death, the world, and the devil. I pray that each one of us will put ourselves in your care, will put our lives within your life. I pray in Jesus' name.